Hello, folks. How are you? Are you feeling Christmassy? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I, for one, um, I'm genuinely excited because, to be honest, there's not really been that much to look forward to or get excited about. So having something like this for me has been brilliant. I've loved it. We've been watching at least one Christmas film a day, um, which has also been very lovely. We'll have to watch The Christmas Chronicles Part 2 tonight after we've watched the last episode of The Mandalorian. Oh my gosh! For anyone who's listening uh, and has been watching The Mandalorian, we have a great episode with Ludwig Gorenson from the podcast that you can check out uh, from a couple of weeks back. But I'm very excited about our latest episode of Soundtracking, which sees a welcome return. Can't believe I'm actually saying that. A welcome return to the podcast of the boss, Bruce Springsteen, and his longtime collaborator, Tom Zimney. The pair joined me during lockdown to discuss Bruce's new album, Letter to You. It's so beautiful. I love this album. And Tom's gorgeous uh, accompanying film of the same name. Now, Letter to You saw Bruce reunite with the E Street Band for the first time since 2014 and was recorded in just five days at his home studio under Tom's watchful eye. Like Western stars before it, it interweaves music, archive, and the meditations of its protagonist to, well, genuinely profound effect. I highly recommend you check it out on Apple TV now. So without further ado, let's get going, starting with the title track. gentlemen how are you hello yay by the power of technology we have you oh it's so great to see you both looking well and healthy <laughs> thanks and um, listen tom we are going to um come back to you uh, to talk specifically about this this beautiful film that accompanies this this record in just a bit if that's okay but that's i'm going great. to focus on mr springsteen for for just a few minutes if that's okay with you First of all, Bruce, congratulations on these two beautiful projects. I've been just submerged in them for the past few days and they've, they've been a, a wonderful, wonderful tonic and just what I needed right now, to be honest. So thank Good. you so much for that. I'm glad. What was the starting point? What encouraged you to, to start this journey with this record and particularly that it be an E Street record? Well, a certain amount of time goes by and, you know, you 
I get hungry to see the guys and feels like our audience is interested in a E Street Band record and so am I. So that general feeling is 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 in the air, you know, but it still takes something to spark a, a creative wave, you know. So uh I didn't I hadn't written any songs for the band in about six or seven years at least. I did other projects, uh Western Stars and that album and a film for Western Stars. And then, of course, we were on Broadway for more than a year. And I wrote a memoir. And, uh, you know, I just got involved with a variety of other projects. And I had in the back of my mind making a, making a, a band record, you know. And if I could, a rock record, though, that's the most difficult music to write for me. So I had a, a couple of interesting incidents. Uh, I was coming out of my Broadway show and there was a young, I believe, Italian man standing on the street with a guitar and he handed me the guitar and I thought, of course, he wanted me to sign it or something. But then he said, no, 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 it's, it's for you. It's for you. So I looked at it. It looked really beautiful. I took it with me and I jumped in the car. I brought it home and I set it in my living room where it sat for six months or so. And I had a close friend of mine from my very first band who was very, very ill and had a few weeks to live. And I, and I visited him down south where he lived. And he was the last surviving member of my very first band besides myself. So when he passed away, it left just me. And it was a very strange feeling, sort of thinking back to your youth and all of those people who meant so much to me at that time mm. uh, all being gone and so that started to i wrote a song called last man standing faded pictures in an old scrapbook faded pictures that somebody took when you were hard and young and proud backed against the wall running raw and Snakeskin vest and a sharkskin suit Cuban heels on your boots Kicking the band and side by side You take the crowd on their mystery ride And once, once I wrote that, the dam broke and all the other songs <laughs> followed in about, in about, oh, seven or ten days. And so that was... That was uh, on that guitar that the kid gave me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Where, wherever this kid may be in the world, I hope that he <laughs> appreciates the inspiration that this wonderful musical instrument gave you. Yeah. I, I've never heard from him or seen him again, but uh, I have to thank him. So wow. that was the genesis of the album and the genesis of the music. And I guess, was it, that, was it kind of going back to, to spend that very precious time with George? Did it confirm to you that this, was a, this record had to be a band record because it was taking you back to that moment where you were in your first band? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the first music that I've written where the entire record is about music and about rock and roll and about being in a band. Uh, it's one of the very first times I've sort of addressed that as a topic. So it made sense, of course, that the band would come in and play and, and it worked out wonderfully. I wanted to ask as well wh whose idea it was to record the record like that, because correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first 
time since um, Born to Run that you and the E Street Band have recorded live in the studio to this extent. Is that right? Yeah, we, we didn't really do it on Born to Run. On Born to Run, we would go out, play in the studio, and then we would replace many of the instruments. <laughs> this was the only record where the entire band came in, played the song down once, kept everything that was on it, including the vocal that I sang at that moment. So there's very few overdubs, just some twang guitars and a few other small things. Uh, so it, it really was very, very exciting. It's so quick that you don't have a time to get tired of the work. You know, it's uh, exciting for the band. They play the song, they come to, to the other side of the board, they hear the record. You know, it, it was as simple as that. So it's it's very, very exciting way to record rather than to wait for months and months to hear what the mm. finished record is going to sound like. I found it really interesting. You said just a minute ago that you find that rock and roll music the hardest to write. I find that kind of slightly flummoxed me because you write amazing rock and roll music and there's so much great rock and roll music on this record. Why do you think you find it the most difficult out of what you write? Well, I've written a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> So I've used up a lot of the ideas, <laughs> you know, and uh, it has always been the most difficult since I was young to get that physical power coupled with a depth of idea mm. is quite a combination, you know, and to combine those two things is always, for me, has always been the hardest thing to do, but it's also the most satisfying when you do it. <laughs> And the, the idea, though, of, of how you would record this record and the fact that you would do it over five days, was it, in, in, in yes. the studio that we see you in today with these, this, this wonderful collection of, you know, friends and bandmates that you've had as well. Well, I, was, I usually make demos, which is always a mistake because you make a demo and you get very attached to it and then, you, you know, you don't want to lose things on it and... So the first thing that I didn't do was I didn't do any demos, which the band suggested. Somebody said, hey, don't demo anything. <laughs> that way, the first time you hear it, you'll hear it fresh with the band playing it. So I, I just recorded them on my little iPhone with just me and the acoustic guitar. And I didn't do anything else until the band came into the studio. Then I would stand and play the rest of the song for the band. They'd learn it. And then we go in into the booth and uh, into the room and perform it. We spent about three hours a song, about two songs a day. And in about four days to five days, we were pretty much finished. Is that a record? <laughs> that's for, the, for a band, for the band, that's a record. You know, we've made records in three weeks before, but, but never never that quickly and, and that efficiently. So the, and the band was just simply that the, the best they've ever been. So that was very exciting. You feel that energy on the record. You feel that kind of, that excitement of a band coming together. And I guess, you know, when you talked about going to visit George and, and that being a real inspiration for finding it in yourself to write E Street songs again after, after a, you know, a, a large amount of time. But there's something special, isn't there, about a band being together and the energy that it creates and the camaraderie, but also the honesty that you can find with each other, I guess, as well, in terms of what's right, but also what's wrong. 45 years with the same people, you've lived your life with them. You've seen their good. You've seen their bad. They've seen your good. They've seen your bad. 
You know, there's things you like about this guy. You don't like about this guy. There's things they don't like about you. <laughs> you know, so you've lived through all of that. And hopefully mm -hmm. by the time you're wary at, you have managed to come upon some peace with all of that. And the last 20 years of our playing together has been the best and most peaceful time in our entire uh, work life. So uh, it's an enjoyment to see the guys. I love seeing them and I love the way they play. And to be here that far down the road, still intact, not without people at every each other's throats, mm -hmm. but rather experiencing the brotherhood, the natural brotherhood that comes with performing a thousand and one nights on stage together. Uh, it's a wonderful feeling and a blessing towards this at this point in my life, you know, so uh, I would wish it on everybody. But uh, those 45 year relationships are not easy to come by. I think everybody wants to be in the E Street Band, Bruce. That's a fact. <laughs> Gentlemen, all right, East Streeters, let's do this thing. We're uh, sitting at Thrill Hill Recording in the wilds of New Jersey, having reconvened the East Street Band. When you get back together, it's just a power. It's like a family reuniting. Real friends for 40 years, all contributing something artistically. That's something special. The greatest thrill of my life is standing behind that microphone with you guys behind me. Let's do it. There's a, a terrific unspoken kind of affinity for what we're about to do. Faded pictures in an We showed up with no demo sent, no chance to write out charts and get to know the songs. The way we do things, capturing the excitement while it's happening. The only other time we work this way would be Born in the USA. When we play together, it's 1977 all over again. It's all about the songs. And right? the inspiration for those songs comes from what I know you guys are going to be playing. I hear the sound of your guitar. You're not exactly sure where you're going, but you know, if you jump onto his energy, and his direction, you'll get there together. You're holding on to just learn the, the basic song, and then even Bruce is kind of changing his mind about things. Don't play it up higher, okay. just don't play so low. <laughs> <laughs> but invariably... Let's get the claps and get the la-da-da's. It'll trigger an idea. It's just gotten better, it blows my mind. Bruce is one of the great songwriters in history. I took all the sunshine and rain. It's a journey, not so much the destination. And him recognizing that is why he's a great artist. All my happiness and all my faith. There's a moment where it all comes together, and it's fleeting. I've heard it described as catching lightning in a bottle, and that's catching the magic. What is it like when you when you all get into that studio for the you know for the first time after after so many years to you know that picking up your instruments and settling in and and starting the day on a new record? First thing that happens is people tell old stories. <laughs> you remember when we were in the bus and the toilet <laughs> spilled over and 
it started to go towards your bed. And I mean, you know, we tell old tales of the road and we laugh for about 30 minutes telling these old tales. And it's a way that we bind ourselves together again right before we play, you know, and then we go and play. I was lucky enough to, to see you in, in London when I was very pregnant with my second son um, at the O2 <laughs> Arena. There is nothing better than the energy you feel from a, an E Street, Bruce Springsteen E Street Band concert. It's, it's kind of, it, it carries you through for years. It's kind of energy that you can take on for kind of years to come. I think that w- the way that you've recorded this record with a real live sort of emotion and, and energy to it, not that it replicates what it's like playing live and stuff, but obviously we can't, you can't play live at the minute. We can't go out and tour. You can't go on the road. Yeah. And I imagine that's something that you were very much looking forward to with this band, particularly oh, with, yeah. with this record and how it sounds. Well, you can see us in the film getting ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> We're, 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 we're uh, congratulating ourselves already about on how great the tour is going to be, <laughs> not knowing that there wasn't going to be one. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, usually at this time we'd be getting ready to go on tour. So that's a big loss. But the fact that the record was live and, it, and, and it's coming out and the film is there where the people will get to see the band play, uh, we're doing our best to find ways to uh, alleviate some of the... Uh, uh, frustration at not having uh, the ability to go right out and play right now. How different is the process of writing with the E Street Band in comparison to to writing a solo record? When I sit down, I'll I'll have different things in my mind. I may have an orchestra in my mind as I did during Western Stars. So I knew they were not going to be E Street Band songs. I may have an acoustic sound in my head like before Nebraska or before Ghost of Tom Joad or Devils and Dust. So I know those aren't going to be East Street Band records and I may start them out as demos. But when I sit down with the idea of using the guys, I got them all in my head. And so <laughs> I just sit down there and I hear Max and Roy and Gary and Steve and Nils and Patty and Jake. I hear them all at once when I'm sitting on the end of my couch just strumming those chords, getting ready for uh, what I know they're going to do to the music. So uh, uh, it's a very different process and you have to wrap your head around it before you even sit down for the most part Mm. to get real E Street Band material. Does that opportunity though, where you you haven't demoed these tracks, like you say, you haven't kind of put a kind of definitive kind of final mark on it in a way, allow that collaboration to be encouraged more with everyone because we get to see that and we'll talk to Tom about that in a second with what he's captured beautifully in this film is this live recording but discovery and journey into the songs to to what we end up hearing on the record well if you see the film you see the mechanics of how the band works and how it's pretty much worked for our entire lives so the film is fun just sort of as a as a document of how the band functions in the studio with this experience of, of recording kind of, you know, live, so to speak, has that been something that you have done on a regular basis with the E Street Band? Is that how you tend to record? We, we had, yeah, we get the band in, the band. Sometimes I just get the rhythm section in, bass, drums, piano, myself. Uh, occasionally we've had, we have, we've had everybody, but the more normal thing would be to track, which we would get three or four guys 
who get the track that you want. Then the other guys come in and put their parts on. The nice thing was the band is big enough that we just didn't do that this time. You know, uh, everybody played everything at once and uh, with everyone in the studio. So that was, I learned a lesson. I'd, I'd probably record like that again. Uh, but also I, I wanted a sound that was just the basic band. I didn't mm. want horns. I didn't want strings. I didn't want any extraneous instruments. I wanted two keyboards, guitars, bass, drums. I just wanted the raw sound of the band the way it existed on say darkness on the edge of town and so it really suited itself for immediate and live recording and when it came to the lyrics for this this record there's some i mean you've you've always been the most brilliant storyteller that you know it's it can be personal to you but it's also personal to to us as fans as we have our own interpretation and and our own emotion and connection with the songs but for you with this record, there was a couple of songs that you went back to old lyrics to 72, yeah. 73. H- how did that come about? But what was it also like for you to to go back to yourself at that point, you know, and, and read <laughs> what you were writing about at that point? Well, you know, I wrote wild lyrics back when I was 22, <laughs> which were really they were quite well written and a lot of fun. And I steered away from that style almost immediately because of the new Dylan comparisons, Mm. which I had when I first came out back in the seventies. So I steered away from, from writing like that. But really when I go back, I had my own original way of writing in that style. And uh, I regret a little bit abandoning that tech, that, that style of writing perhaps a little too soon. It's there on my first three records, pretty much, uh, certainly the first two. And then I write more colloquially the way people speak after that. Uh, so it was very interesting going back to those three songs and singing. I had to sing in that young man's head with my <laughs> current voice and the band at their current, uh, in their current state. So it was an interesting combination of things. And it happened to work, work it worked out very well. And, and uh, it's something I may, I may try again. I've still got quite a few songs left over from, from pre-greetings from Asbury Park, pre-1973. Wow. They're in a special Bruce Bolt that you They're in a Bruce box, like. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still waiting. With those three particular tracks, you know, Songs to Orphans and Janie Needs a Shooter and If I Was a Priest, those three songs, though, they, they fit so beautifully and brilliantly with the rest of the record and the narrative of it and the emotion of the, the record. Why do you think that is? And was it easy to decide on what songs you would choose in that way? I casually chose those three because they were three that I liked and that I had a feeling would work well with, with the band right now. So uh, uh, it, there's, there was no real rhyme or, or reason behind it. Actually, what started it was the track Janie Needs a Shooter. I cut early on as a single cut for like, we have a record store a day here. But when mm-hmm. we cut it, it came out so good. I said, I got, I'm gonna hold on to this for a record.
that's what really led me into like, oh, they have a couple more of those hiding somewhere <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the past, you know? So uh, it, it, it's all happy accidents at the end of the day. That's, that's creativity for you. You know, it's, uh, there's so much unplanned mm-hmm. that goes into the way something turns out that it's, it's, that's the best. And that's actually the best way for it to happen. It's all about feeling, isn't it? it? Is. It's about how it physically yeah. makes you feel. How you feel, what happens to you at a given moment, a lot of just emotional and creative spontaneity and something alive comes out of it. You know, that's what you're hoped for. If I was a priest is just, it's proper, a proper rock and roll record. It's, it's <laughs> so, it's so good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was a funny record. And I played it. That was one of the first songs I ever played for John Hammond, the legendary A&R man at Columbia who signed Bob Dylan and signed Billie Holiday and he signed Aretha Franklin and worked with Benny Goodman and uh, he was just a history-making A&R man. He signed me to my record deal and that was a song that I used to audition in his office the first day I saw him. So it's nice to pick that one up again. There's a light on yonder mountain and it's calling me to shine There's a girl Or by the water fountain And she's asking to be mine And Jesus is standing in a doorway In a buckskin jacket, boots and spurs so fine Says we need your son tonight up in Dodge City Cause there's just too many outlaws trying to work the same line And in that room when you have all these wonderful players and musicians You know all these things are firing off each other and bouncing off each other And everyone's kind of comments feed into it and so an idea you might have had, someone else could add to that and take away. So sure. the energy in that room just must be extraordinary. It's lovely, you know. It's uh, it's very, you know, it, it, it's a very common experience for us, but it's the experience of having all of the band in the room at one time right now is a, a real sweet benediction uh, in my life, and it's something I enjoy deeply. There's a lovely moment in the film where you, you raise a glass and, and toast Clarence and, and Danny within the film. And then, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, is, 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 must be emotional for you guys in the room to, to be recording an E Street record, you know, without them. Um, but then also to have these wonderful people playing with you, you know, Jake and keeping it within the family. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is, a, I love that moment where you're, you're, you know, you're conducting him with the, with the saxophone. It's a beautiful thing to see. You know, Jake has been wonderful with stepping into the big shoes that were Clarence's. You know, part of it, the fact that he was related and family, that helped a lot. But mm-hmm. the other part of it is he's just, his personality and his soulfulness and his sweetness and his dedication to taking that position and honoring it while at the same time filling it with his own spirit uh, he does a wonderful job, you know. So I always used to direct Clarence like that. So I, it was nice to have a chance to do that again with Jake. It's in the genes, definitely. Yeah. With Clarence's genes, we have it. Yeah, he sounds <laughs> phenomenal. Like he, like he, yeah, like he's been there the whole time. 
Yeah, yeah. And all Jake did a, a wonderful job on his first record with the E Street Band. He sounded great and did a great job on the solos. And uh, you know, it's 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 a lovely thing. I mean, Clarence and Danny, they're all it's cliche, but they're always with us. Mm. Uh, you know, their spirit is here, their presence is here, always will be. You know, that's why if, when I introduce the band, I still introduce them because they're still in the band. They're still with us. And the fact this record is you writing about being in a band as well, they must they, they feature within that lyrically as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's welcome Tom Zimney back into the room, if that's okay. Feels like a lovely time. Tommy Zimney! To welcome hey. Tom back to talk about oh, this film. My brother. My journey with the film and the album. I listened to the album, then I watched the film, and then I watched the film for a second time, and then I went back to the album. And it's just such a great... Because you get to see this creation it's such a brilliant brilliant companion to the album tom you know you've, you've worked with, with bruce for so long and, and when did the idea of this being a, a film to accompany this album come up and the idea because obviously you know we we spoke for the beautiful western stars but that was something different this is the a making of almost in a way but it's so much more well first thank you for the, that i'm so glad you connected to the film that way i i mean in with all my projects with Bruce, this came about one cold winter day. He had called me up to come by the house and mentioned that he had some new songs. And they dealt with the Castiles a little bit and some of the band and really set a tone. We sat out by a fire and um, a lot of that tone is reflected in the film. Just that conversation stayed with me very deeply. And uh, there was not a lot of discussion of lyrics or content or themes. But we had listened to some 60s pop music in the background. And it was a cold, classic New Jersey day. And then I got to that space as a filmmaker to witness, for me, something that I can't really put into words, but it's magical, which is the E Street Band arriving all at once. <laughs> Patty and Bruce arriving, the band coming together. And then this thing happened, which was I tried to really stay out of the way and capture something that I can't put into words, which is... The beauty of that relationship of the band, John Landau, the power of these words. And um, I, I ended up editing it and being in a space where I really took in the details of this collaboration and, and, and this amazing moment that unfolded in front of me. So I had really just tried to be present in the moment and and really let the the, the 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 music and the words have guided me throughout the years and obviously the dialogue i have with bruce and the space itself is quite magical this studio is amazing it's something that patty had designed and i i felt like it was much like the barn it was a thing that i embraced mm -hmm. and the history of east street is around this studio as you look around you see the keyboards of danny and yeah, it's all pretty amazing. He's got it behind him. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, can we can we all come and have Christmas in the studio in the barn, please? Sure, please? why not? <laughs> <laughs> Was it? How did it feel though for you, Bruce? And I know that you have such a you know, like Tom says, you have such a a dialogue with with each other creatively in terms of there's I guess there's an instinctiveness there between you both as well. But the crew not interfering with the creative process for you guys as a band, was, that, was it quite easy to navigate that? Well, you know, I had a, we had very simple rules, which was the record comes first, the recording comes first, the musicians come first, and it's sort of a time, you can be here 
just don't get in the way of anything. <laughs> and, and Tom is so good and, and Joe is so good at what they do. Joe DeSalvo, our cinematographer. And literally they were here for five days. I don't remember the get, getting them getting in anyone's way once. They, and this is not that big a studio. So there were cameras all over and there were musicians all over. But they threaded the needle incredibly, picked up unbelievable footage and never ruffled a feather or uh, it, it impacted on the recording process whatsoever. So for that, I have to thank Tom on that one. Mr. Tom's in me. He does his job well. Thank you. And the idea of, of shooting it in, in black and white, because you have this, you know, you have various parts to the film. You have this recording of this album being made. We have this beautiful archive footage. And then we have, Bruce, we have your kind of wonderful, almost meditations over, you know, that, that kind of dive deeper for us into right. these lyrics and things as well. And, and deciding that that would be the structure of the film. Was that immediate or was that something as you were going along, Tom, that you decided on? I think the editing process is, for me, really a conversation with Bruce continuously. And um, we're, we're, the, on this film, we were not in the room like Western Stars together, but I felt very close. And he was sending me voiceover and sending me moments of score that was really... And, and also, I have to say, the lyrics are a great script and guide mm to the emotional content. And my conversation, uh, that, that dialogue back and forth is essential for me to step into the space. And I think with the writing on this and the narration and um, doing it in an apartment and having all my production shut down and just really contributed to a lot of that imagery in black and white in the snow. And I really feel like it's a back and forth conversation visually. Sometimes we're not, we're not discussing shot by shot, but I'm picking up emotional clues and I'm trying not to think too much about it too. Did you know exactly what you wanted the film to to look like and to to deliver I guess before you started filming or was it or was it kind of feeling as you were going along and seeing what you were getting from this experience watching this band create? I, I was really influenced by the idea of um, when one of the docs I made was Born to Run and then the next doc was Darkness on the Edge of Town and I always use those as mental references which is the, the this film I didn't know where it was going to go but I knew that I didn't want to repeat a language that we had explored before and the music I I, I respond to these words in a way very similar to the way the book played out in my world with the Broadway play, um, with Western stars. I'm responding to lyrics and um, the voiceover, and I'm really relieved that I don't have any preconception of this is what I'm going to do. The idea yeah. of black and white, for example, just really came from that conversation before we stepped in the studio. And um, I think I've learned a lot watching uh, the creative process of of the music and to be open to being spontaneous in the moment and and listening. I was just going to say it's such a beautiful, a special insight into how you collaborate as a band as well. You know, this the, the way that you converse with each other if you're, and the way that you listen to each other. That's what I really took away from that side of it was like how much you all listen to each other and, you know, particularly as the songs are being crafted as you go through as well. Yeah, we do... Once the we do a good deal of cross pollinization once we get in the studio, <laughs> you know, somebody got hey, I sprinkle that on it, somebody else will sprinkle that on it, somebody else may have an idea here, 
and the studio while we're up and running the mechanics of the band is very good at integrating a wide variety of suggestions and ideas into into a particular arrangement uh that's very important but but tom is essential you know he, he's he's done the springsteen on broadway film with me which he did a fantastic job at and as he said he's done done others darkness on the edge of town and born to run and his tom's he has an he has an 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 inner guiding mechanism that always leads him to the most essential aspects of what we're doing you know not, i don't worry about my choice because i know 99.9% of the time if we're looking at similar pieces of film tom's going to choose what i choose you know i mean we're that connected on it you know and if not he'll choose something that's better than i'd choose you know so uh uh it's a very very we have a very very sympathetic relationship and uh, uh working with tom is and, and particularly as we've developed it over the past 10 15 i don't know maybe longer is it longer than that 20 years, years. you know yeah. Yeah, so. yeah so so uh it's it's been a valuable valuable relationship for me i thank you tommy thank you the act of filming the band is similar to the act of the band recording in the sense that to be at your creative best is to be ready when opportunity presents itself in other words we come into the studio just so happens to snow that day all right we look at the snow there's a little bit of snow on film then I, the next thing I remember is Tom sends me some footage of somebody in the snow. And we say, hmm. All of a sudden we say, yeah, well, the snow, the snow seems like a good metaphor for us right now. And Danny Clinch calls me up the end days of my Broadway performance and asks me to come out in New York. Come out in New York on the afternoon when there's a freak blizzard. So all the pictures he takes of me are in the snow. So suddenly snow becomes a a very active character in both the art for the record and the film and so if you're a good artist you're picking that information up and you're using it tommy mm. is very very good at this so we fo you follow you follow where the real world is taking you and so we ended up with the beautiful drone footage that Joe DeSalvo, a cinematographer, shot that's in the film. And snow, the snow became a very, very big player in the movie and in, and in the uh, record, recording art. So you have to be ready when those things happen to take advantage of that moment. That's a big, big part of things. And then the narration comes from me wanting to expand upon the written song. And it was a template that we worked out on Western Stars, where there was a, a song and then a piece of, a meditative piece of spoken word piece of, about the general, the, 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 the subtext of that piece of music. And we followed that in, and we followed that and expanded upon it in this film. And Tom and I have just, Tom is really, really good at what, this, what I give him he just makes gold out of it. If I send him a voiceover, if I send him a piece of music, of, of theme music, you know, and then he puts it to image, we're just, have been really, really good at doing that together. So it's been a blessing of a partnership. 
All right, what can I say? The greatest thrill of my life is standing behind that microphone with you guys behind me. Let's do it. I'm in the middle of a 45-year conversation with these men and women I'm surrounded by. Faded pictures in an old scrapbook. I started playing the guitar because I was looking for someone to correspond with. And after all this time, I still feel that need to talk to you. All right, East Readers, let's do this thing. I hear the sound of your guitar. Our years of playing together have created an efficiency in the studio. Ideas tumble around the room. Confusion often reigns. I took all the sunshine and rain. Age brings perspective. All my happiness and all my pain. And after all these years, the dark evening stars and the morning sky of blue. My friends, wherever you are. And I sent it in my letter to you. You're the reason we're here. Well, it's that thing where a lot of artists don't like deconstructing their their lyrics or you know talking about the meaning behind things but with this film and this this beautiful honest way that you are looking at your own lyrics and songs it's encouraging you to do that do you, do you enjoy that side of it of kind of being i do know, is it uh, i do because i, I I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've worked hard on being able to uh verbalize my experience and so i mean i've i had 30 years of analysis <laughs> that helps <laughs> that helps a lot <laughs> and uh uh so that comes in pretty handy when i look at a piece of music that i wrote and i go okay what am i writing about here well i'm kind of and and then i turn that into a spoken word piece uh we uh score it and tom matches it with, with, with the image and we're off to the races. And on, on, this, <laughs> on this film, it really came to a, a beautiful fruition and uh, it, it just worked out beyond our wildest dreams, I think. There's some really interesting conversations that come up as well through those um, spoken word moments and the reflection on your first band, the Castiles, but also that idea of, which then kind of bleeds into the discussion within the studio with the band of all these venues that there were to play as a new band. And, you know, <laughs> I love, because that's something that, that new, well, at the minute, particularly no one has, but, but you know, these, these small venues that rock and roll bands kind of are, are bloom and grow are, are, there's hardly any left. Yes, it, w it was an interesting moment, and it was a golden moment to be in a band. And for instance, if somebody wanted to hire a band in 1966, they had to hire a bunch of 16-year-olds <laughs> because there were no 25-year-olds playing that music at that time, right? So every place you went, you were serenaded by teenagers. Now today, if somebody hires a band, there may be guys my age, you know, playing the top 40. But at that one point in time, it was all a bunch of kids playing music of the day. And there were 
hundreds of venues that opened at those moments, like I say in the film, Union Halls, Elks Clubs, Knights of Columbus, CYO Dance, high school dances, fairs, firemen's fairs, carnivals, all of those, bowling alleys, uh, all of those places hosted, pizza parlors hosted a band on Saturday night. And I have no idea. I, I know young kids at the beach that I go to, I say, what do you do at night? And they go, well, I go to my friend's house. We go and get ice cream. There's no, th those kids don't go out and see, and see music anymore because, and I don't know if it was the, the drug revolution that stopped it and people, when, it's, when people started worried about being liable, but it was a brief period of time that was mid to late 60s and then it was done. And it was worldwide as well. That was everywhere in the world that that was uh -huh. the case. Absolutely. It's a random question, Bruce, but how on earth do you go about creating a set list when you go on tour? Because, you know, particularly with, with the E Street as well. I mean, I've been lucky to see you live several times and I never want it to end, but at some point it has to end the show. But how do you go about creating a set list? Set list I usually create in the hour before we go on stage, sometimes half hour. No. Uh, we, have, we have so much music that, you know, I just sit down and I go, what's fresh for tonight? What, what can we do tonight that we didn't do last night? If I have a new album, I'll try to concentrate on some of those songs a little bit. So I've, I've made thousands of them. So it's, 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 it, it's enjoyable. I, I still enjoy it. It's, it's, it's fun for me to do. I love that. Like half an hour of the band are like, what are we playing tonight? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> So I try to get that to the band with 15 or 20 minutes to spare in case oh, anybody has any questions. <laughs> what does recording live in the way that you did this record give to the record? What does it add or how does it make it different? Live is always immediate. Immediate is always exciting. Exciting is good. So you get a freshness so where you can make your entire record and before you can get tired of it, it's done. <laughs> so you get a freshness, you get a, a spontaneousness that doesn't have to be contrived at a later date. That's just there naturally. And, uh, you know, there are places on the record where the arrangement just took off and started to write itself. The end of If I Were the Priest or the end of uh, Ghosts, where the band starts to just morph into some slightly different song structure. And those are things that just happened when we played. So you get a tremendous opportunity. Uh, the organicness of the material comes uh, front, and, front and center. And uh, it's just, it's, it's always a more exciting way to go. And then to be able to keep the vocals you sang while performing, that almost never happens. You're <laughs> always going back and re-recording the lead vocal. And I tried on one song. I went back. I started singing. Wasn't as good as the lead voice. And I said, that's it. I'm not even going to try with the rest of them. And so I left, left them all there. Did these special times we've lived in inspire or block your creativity. So if you find this kind of lockdown situation inspiring. Well, I got to find something to do because I'm no good. If I do nothing, I'm not anybody's friend. You know, <laughs> I'm like, 
if I'm wandering around the house with nothing to do, I'm not good like that. I've got to have something to do on a daily basis. You know, I'm I'm just not good with unstructured time. That's Mm -hmm. not how I thrive. So we were lucky in that we cut the album and the film two or three months before COVID hit. So uh, once COVID hit, I could still work on it with just two or three guys in the studio, get it finished. Uh, same thing with the film. You know, we, we didn't need to call in a big, uh, uh, a big unit and, and, mm. and get all the band back together or anything. So luckily we had all of that to work on and that's what we spent the last part of the year working on. Uh, and I'm always looking for another project. I've got several other things going and I'm going to simply try to stay busy. That's the best, that's the best medicine for me in the midst of all of this. And, uh, I'm going to do my best to do that. Well, we get a real essence of that as well with your radio shows that you're, you're doing at the minute, my home to yours, which are so beautiful and brilliant. It's kind of, it's the perfect vaccine for covid to be honest it's like an audio vaccine it's brilliant um have you enjoyed have you enjoyed these and and what have you taken away from that experience of putting together these fabulous collections of songs the radio show came from just not being able to do anything you know i said well how am i gonna continue to talk to my fans and my audience i said well I'll become a DJ, you know, and uh, and so it's 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 over the past year, it's given me uh it's given me a way to continue to speak to uh, our fans that are out there, and I, I've turned it into a it's just another form of expression. I, plus, I get to play some of my favorite records by some of my favorite artists, and uh, I've had a a blast doing it. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I hope you're going to do more because they are fabulous. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm keeping up with it as best as I can. I try to do one every couple of weeks or so. Great. Um, listen, before we finish as well, I, I want to ask you about a, a specific track on the record as well, which is, I think it's my favorite on the, on the, on the record, House of a Thousand Guitars. It's, yeah. it's a huge song. It's so uh, glorious and just kind of, it leaves you with a power once you've heard this track. Can you talk a little bit about it for me, please, please? That song is really the secret center of the record because it addresses a world that I've created with my fans that occurs when we get in a room or it has it's a world of its own specific values and codes and way of living. And it's it, it it's really a house of a thousand guitars is kind of a metaphor for this body of life and and experience that i've had with my audience you know uh uh so it's 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 really the heart and soul of of the album it's it's my favorite song personally you know also and uh you sort of create this world along with your audience and then when you leave the arena or you leave the club or they take some of that world along with them. And so do I back into the real world. Mm. And those ideas and values and experiences then have some impact on our real world out there. And so that's how the artists had that. That's a big part of the way of how the artist has impact in society. And that alchemy is what I've been interested in my entire creative life. 
And it's the thing that keeps me going to this day. Uh, it's, it's, it's the essential thing that we do. Uh, we entertain. We hope you dance to our music. <laughs> we hope you, you know, find personal comfort in our music. But it's, it's that alchemy where your, your dreams, your desires, your values, your, you know, get expressed to your fans. It grows into something of its own and then finds its place in the real world. That's what that song is about. And it's what I continue to try to do. Well, I think the thing that you've always done is have this incredible communication with your fans through the way that you write yeah. and what you write about. The title of this album, you know, Letter to You, it's, it's you know, you feel like it's for you, for us, you know, it's, yeah. and that's the wonderful thing is that, you know, the thousands and thousands and thousands of fans you have around the world, each one has a personal connection with that. And that's yeah. the way that you write and the way that you communicate through your, your art. It's well, wonderful. We're, we're trying, so thanks a lot. <laughs> Um, Bruce, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Tom, thank you, thank you so everyone. much. I'd like to thank Tom Zimney. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Please give our best to all our fans out there. Thank you, darling. <laughs> bye, bye bye. Take care, guys. Thank you. The blood moon shines across the veil. Bells ring out through churches and jails. I tell you, my and count the scars in the house of a thousand guitars the criminal clown has stolen the throne he steals what he can never own may the truth ring out from every small town bar we'll light up the house of a thousand guitars well it's all Letter to you, that's House of a Thousand Guitars by the one and only Bruce Springsteen. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the legendary songwriter and his partner in crime, Tom Zimney. Um, I should say that I have such a beautiful Christmas connection with Bruce as well because I remember 12 years ago going to see uh, Bruce and the E Street Band at the O2 in London when I was very pregnant with my first child and rocking around to two and a half hours of the most gorgeous music, including Santa Claus is coming to town. So I I don't know, I always feel like I have a little bit of Bruce with me at Christmas time as well. And that song is probably one of the best Christmas songs ever. Before we round things up, though, I just wanted to play you a little something that came up in the interview, which happened prior, just prior, in fact, to the US election. And it didn't quite fit into the main body of this week's podcast. But for Bruce, he's not just a musician of the highest order, but he's also a social commentator by virtue of the incredible songs he's written and the voice his success has afforded him. So here were his thoughts 
before Americans went to the polls. Donald Trump will lose, number one. You've heard it first right here. Joe Biden will win. And the long national nightmare will be, I don't know if it's going to be over, but he's going to be gone. I'm sure of that, that he will not be elected to a second term. What kind of shenanigans may go on? I'd like to see a, I would like to see a uh, landslide so there was not a lot of debate about who won. I'm hoping there's not a lot of shenanigans that go on around the election and we end up having to wait a month or two or etc. to find out who won. That's my prayer. But I believe the United States will hold together as a united nation, regardless of the tensions and differences among some of its populace right now. Uh, I believe a lot of what you see on television is a minority of people who are driving up hysteria, whether it's the militias or, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of positivity going on. I think the Black Lives Matter movement is a very positive movement. It is mostly peaceful uh, when it when it devolves into violence. That's not good for anybody. But they have been, if you look at the size and, and the amount of marches around the world, they've been primarily peaceful. So I believe that they've been a healthy movement at this point in time as far as moving the civil rights of the United States, states in a more humane direction, a direction that history is demanding. And uh, you can't live in a society where if you are a person of color, you are in danger of being shot on any given day of the week over some small infraction or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's time in the United States for that to stop. So that movement is very important. I believe the right-wing movements that have propped up because Trump has created a atmosphere where they feel emboldened I believe they will recede under the rock they crawled out from under when he begins to go away. Uh, I have a lot of faith still in the American people, in the American idea. We have been stung, and this has been hurtful, but we're a long ways from down and out. So uh, have faith, my brothers and sisters out there. <laughs> it's not over yet. I think we should probably add profit to a CV or just godlike genius. Uh, my huge thanks to Bruce and Tom for taking the time to talk to us. Letter to You is available to watch on Apple TV now with the album Well Worth Buying Someone for Christmas too. I'm very much hoping that Santa brings me it in vinyl form. Uh, you can head to edithbowman.com to check out all of our previous episodes and our lovely chat with Bruce and Tom about their previous film, Western Stars. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do look up our little YouTube channel too for a regular show that I put together to accompany this podcast. In fact, I'm going to put together a, a special Christmas edition of a few people that I've been chatting to over the last few weeks that I haven't quite managed to make it onto the podcast. Some great names for you to check out. Coming up over the next couple of weeks, I should add, um, Pixar have got a brand new film coming out on Disney+. Plus. It's called Soul. And it's almost kind of two parts musical because half the score has been uh, written by Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. The other half, the jazz side of it, has been uh, 
composed and created by Jonathan Batiste and it is a musical marriage made in heaven. On top of that, the brilliant work of Pete Doctor, who has written and directed this film. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing my chat with Pete coming up in the next couple of weeks. But we'll be back on Christmas Day with my very good friend, Andy Burrows, talking many things, including working with Ricky Gervais on Afterlife. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, please look after yourselves. <laughs>